And it is Jesus who makes today truly glorious. And thank you for joining us on this morning's broadcast. We at Echoes of Calvary would like to take this opportunity to wish you and yours a happy and holy new year. There are several facts about the Word of God which give us definite reason to study biblical prophecy. In this morning's program, Pastor Elliot points out some of these reasons in the hope that we will each study biblical prophecy in 2018. And now, with his message for today, here's our pastor, Robert Elliot. I think for most of us in our culture, uh, New Year's is a time to look forward with our own eyes, but this message is to challenge us to also be looking forward with His eyes. I think in our culture, New Year's is a time typically when we make our resolutions. But this message is calling us to consider making New Year's a time to consider His revelations about the year and the future that are ahead. Years ago, in the first days of World War II, dark days on the global front, as you can well imagine, King George VI of England, who was the king that was the subject of the recent film, The King's Speech, King George VI had a radio address in those early dark days of World War II, and this is what he said. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might tread safely into the unknown. He replied, put your hand into the hand of God, and that shall be to you better than light and safer than the known way. End of quote. Some Christians, I think we know some, seriously question whether we should spend much time or effort in studying biblical prophecy. I am not one of those Christians. And on the first Sunday of a brand new year, I want to share with you five good reasons that I believe we should, in fact, study biblical prophecy. And when I say we, I mean me and all of you. Yes, I should study biblical prophecy as your pastor, but I want to make the case to each of you, my brothers and sisters, that you as well should study biblical prophecy in this new year. Now, before I go into this sermon, I want to tell you that it was a sermon first delivered by a prof of mine at Dallas Seminary named Stan Toussaint. I've adapted his sermon, but I want to give him credit for much of what's here. So why should we go into prophecy in this new year of 2012? Five reasons. Number one, because of the prominence of prophecy in the Bible. We should study Bible prophecy because of its prominence in the Word of God. As we stand or sit here this morning, 20% of the scriptures are still prophetic. That is, what has been predicted by God in 20% of our Bibles has still to be fulfilled. But if we roll the clock back to the centuries previous, when God gave the various books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, to the human authors that were to write these books, if we roll the clock back to those times, then 60 plus percent of God's scriptures were prophetic. So why study prophecy? First, because of the prominence of prophecy in the Bible. Second, we ought to 
study prophecy because of the priority of the prophetic subjects the Bible touches on. We ought to study prophecy because of the priority of prophetic subjects. The prophetic topics in God's word are not trite, nor are they trivial or inconsequential. The topics that God reveals prophecy concerning are not ridiculous, outlandish topics. Quite the contrary. Now, the Word of God focuses on subjects that matter, subjects that change how we choose to live now and give us a perspective on how we'll live after we die or we're raptured. The prophecies of the Bible are not absurd or silly or ridiculous. Instead, they are essential. What are those subjects? What are some of the subjects of prophecy in God's Word? Christ's crucifixion, Christ's first coming, resurrection, the rapture return of Christ for the church, the second coming. These are some of the topics and subjects of Bible prophecy going on. The Antichrist, the Ten Kingdom Confederation, also called the revived Roman Empire, the establishment of Christ's kingdom, heaven. These are some of the topics of prophecy. Hell, substantive topics, important topics, topics that inform how we live now and how we will live after we are on earth. So why study prophecy to review? Number one, because of the prominence of prophecy in the Bible. Two, because of the priority of prophetic subjects. But there's a third reason we ought to study prophecy. It's because of the practice of godly men and women of old. Because of the practice of godly men and women of old. Daniel, for example. When Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon, he was about 15 or 16 years old. Very young. And he purposed in his heart not to defile himself before he was tempted by the Babylonian pagans to defile himself. And that's why he never defiled himself. So young person here listening to me today, when you go into this new year, you purpose in your hearts not to defile yourself with alcohol, drugs, premarital sex, and the like. Because when you purpose in your heart that you won't defile yourself in these ways, the Spirit of God who resides within you, if you are born again, will give you the way of escape and the strength to take it in all these settings. But back to Daniel. Daniel went into Babylonian captivity at a boy of about 15 or 16 years of age. The captivity lasted 70 years, and he knew it. Do you know how he knew it? He studied prophecy. It says in Daniel 9, verses 1 and 2, In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, the Median of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of all the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. There's a fourth reason we should study God's prophecy, and it's because of the practicality of prophecy. Because of the practicality of prophecy. Prophecy, you see, when it's properly understood, when it's properly meditated on, when prophecy is thought through to the end that it predicts, it moves us. Prophecy is not dry or academic. 
It is living like the rest of God's word. And when we consider God's prophetic promises in their context, in light of current events, it moves us to holiness. It moves us to faithfulness. It moves us to witnessing. It moves us to missionary endeavor. It moves us. That's why we should study prophecy. Now, on this point that we should study prophecy because it's of its practicality, I want to give you some very specific things that prophecy will produce because it's practical. Number one, prophecy produces hope. You want to have hope? Then who of us would not want hope? Then no prophecy. Prophecy produces hope. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, a very common and beloved passage on the rapture of the church. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you do not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. No hope. Most of the people you rub shoulders with who aren't saved, most of the people you rub shoulders with this new year have no hope. We have hope. And our hope is brought under the magnifying glass when we study prophecy. Prophecy is practical. It works in our lives. It settles us down. It motivates us and it shapes our decisions and our priorities. And we should study it because of its prominence in the Bible, because of its priority of its subjects, because of its practice of godly men and women, and because of the practicality of prophecy. And the last point in this sermon, we should study prophecy because of the evident proximity of the Lord's return. The evident proximity of the Lord's return. That has been said that Christ's return is imminent in the church since the writing of the New Testament. And I would submit to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, if the Apostle Paul viewed the rapture return of Jesus as imminent when Scripture was still being written, that it is even more imminent this morning. And any time now, return for the church. Perhaps no other time except this time does that proximity of Jesus Christ's rapture return seem more likely. Why? Israel is in her land, and she's having a horrible time. She is being surrounded by hateful nations that would like to obliterate her off the face of the map. Israel today is looking for allies and not finding very many, including America. Surrounded by nations intent on driving her into the Mediterranean Sea, Europe is lurching toward political, economic, and military unity because of a collapse that's imminent in all of those fields. Don't you think that if it collapses like a house of cards, as it is on the brink of doing, that anybody who could unite them as European nations, politically, economically, and militarily, would get a voice? And out of that potential European unity will come ten kingdoms. And out of that ten kingdom confederation, Scripture tells us, will come an antichrist. And Israel's uh, probable acceptance of any peace pact from such a leader seems obvious as they are desperate. And remember, all of these things that I have rattled off are to be preceded by the rapturing of the church. I'm not a date setter. I don't know the date. I'm just watching history and studying my Bible. It would not surprise me in the least if Christ would rapture us before the end of this year. 
I'm not setting a date. I'm just saying, perhaps today. There was an old and tired hotel in West Texas. That hotel had a big old porch. There was one rocking chair on that porch and a bench. Three men were on the porch together. One was in the rocker and he was whittling wood. And two other men were sitting on the bench just admiring the wide open Texas spaces. And the hotel clock inside the lobby struck 13 times. At first, nothing was said by anybody. The carver, though, just put his jackknife in the bib of his overalls, stood to his feet, looked at the men on the bench. He said, gentlemen, I think I'll go home. It's later than it's ever been before. That's where we're living. It's later than it's ever been before, church. And so this year, study prophecy. Know what God has said is going to happen. Prophecy, I would submit along with redemption, are the main plot lines of the Bible. And as we started this message with the radio address of King George VI, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, put your hand into the hand of God, and that shall be to you better than light and safer than the known way. In closing, please go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Let us together give the prophetic word that is sure better attention. May it be a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star shines in our hearts with that great trumpet call of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you are in control, that you are never early, and you are never late. You are always precisely on time. Lord, we give to you the circumstances of your world and of our country. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would also give you the circumstances of our families and of our individual redeemed lives. Lord, this year may we be aware of what your word says about the future. And may we be settled and encouraged and motivated and purified by those assertions. And we ask these things grateful in the name of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, our coming King, even Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas and it is now New Year's Eve. Happy New Year. We have just celebrated Christmas and Christmas is over. The gifts have been opened. Some love, some gifts not so love. The Christmas decorating need to be put away. 
the Christmas tree needs to be taken down or thrown away. Let's not forget, as we consider even a couple of years ago, when we think about this Christmas, there were a couple of years ago that we were thinking about what was coming. The question becomes, what do we do with all the things we have to do? But there's one thing that remains, that Jesus is still Lord, he is still King, and he is still sovereign. So we can find some peace in knowing that Jesus is still there for us as we celebrate during the Christmas season. He is still the same person that left everything in heaven to come to earth to save us from our sins. But the question we want to consider today is this. What do we do when the parties are over, the gifts are open, and the Savior is still there? Matthew West, a Christian singer, had a song, and this is what it said. Here comes the letdown. Christmas is over. Here comes the meltdown. There goes the cheer. But before we have a breakdown, let us remember the light of the world is still here. Happy day after Christmas and merry rest of the year. Even when Christmas is over, the light of the world is still here. The light of the world. You see, the light of the world is still here. You see, but I think sometimes in, in the Christmas story and as we consider it, we forget some individuals. Let's not forget about the wise men that was ready to seek after the king who they only heard about. And they were willing to travel afar to see the baby. Not only did they travel from afar, but the birth was over. They had already moved from the manger into a home in Egypt. The wise men were seeking after the star of the story and the star of Christmas. We don't know how many wise men they were, but we know they traveled from afar and they were looking for the savior of the world. You see, the wise men were people that traveled in big groups. Again, we aren't sure how many people, and we all know when we consider this Christmas story, we talk about three wise men. But there is none of us who know how many wise men they were. But I think what happens to us, is, as we need to understand, is that we need not to get lost in, in just Christmas and, and now have a big letdown. And what I want to consider is, and I want to call this Christmas-itis, where basically we have heard the Christmas story. We went through Christmas. We were so joyous about everything, but now it's time to clean up. Now it's time to get back to reality, get back to work and do all those things. But we want to look at the wise men and think of three different points. And the first point is this, that they had a journey of faith. When we consider Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, it says that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, two days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose, and come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. But from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. You see, the wise men were going on their pure faith because as we can see, they were not 100% sure, but they were following the star that they saw and they said that this is the star that's going to lead us to the king of the Jews. I want you to think for a second at these wise men. They left everything they had, their families, their wealth, their comfort life to go after a star. Why would they do this? Because they had incredible faith. 
They had faith that the star would lead them to the king of the Jews. People probably thought that they were crazy. And today we sometimes face the same type of persecution when people say, how can you believe in someone that you can't see? And our response is always the same. We just have faith. We must recognize that whenever we follow Christ, it is always due to our faith. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. We must remember that even though the festivities are over, the Savior is still there. And we must seek after him, and we know it is only because of our faith that we can do anything to please him. So how do we apply this? But when Christmas Christmasitis settles in, remember that your faith in the Savior still exists. And it's the most important thing that you have in life. The second point that we want to look at is this. Wise men go on a journey of worship. Matthew 2 verse 7 says this. Then Herod summoned the wise men and secretly asserted from them, What time the star had appeared? And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, a star that they had seen when it arose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening the treasures, they offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You see, we know that Herod was not telling the truth, as he wanted them to come back to town so that he could go to worship the king, but instead he wanted to kill him. But we see the wise men were seeking the king for one reason and one reason only, and that's to worship. We see again now how their faith continues to play a major role, as in verse 10, as they see the star, they rejoice with great joy. They were continuing their travel looking for the star and the king. One thing we must notice and a reminder as so many times that we see nativity and Christmas and cantatas is that the wise men never came to the mangers, but they came to the house to see Jesus. Many scholars believe that Jesus was about two years old at the time, and that's why Herod made a decree to kill all babies two years and under. He wanted to make sure that Jesus was one of those babies that were killed. We see in verse 11, they had one thing on their mind. When they saw the king, they bowed and worshipped him. We also notice that they carried gifts to give to the king. You see, this is where we get the whole mix-up as it talks about three gifts. But the devil said that it was three kings. But as we consider this truth and we consider them bringing their gifts to him, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing with the gifts that we have? Are we seeking after God? Are we doing all that we can? You see, we need to recognize that, that God wants our gifts and he wants them to be used for him. And he wants us to worship him. He wants us to adore him. He wants us to recognize that he is the most important thing, mo most important person in our lives. Nothing compares to him. So as we consider this and we consider this truth, as we consider Christmas being over and we get into this Christmas-itis, let's not stay there, but let us worship the King. We will pick up on our next segment as we can continue to talk about Christmas-itis. Sit back, listen up for a short Christmas devotional we'd like to share with you. A blessed Christmas to all of our listeners. I have a Christmas devotional to share with you. 
It's written by Dr. Mark Bailey, who is president and professor of Bible exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary. The devotional is titled, Born to be the King. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 to 33. Don't you just love it when you read about an angel telling someone, do not be afraid? Of course, not that you would hear from an angel every day. When Gabriel appeared to Mary to inform her that she would be the mother of the Messiah, that must have been quite the experience. God favored Mary to be the vessel through whom his son would be born. In keeping with his stated purpose in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the first four chapters of the book of Luke provide three consecutively ordered parallel accounts of the respective announcements, births, and ministry of both John the Baptist and Jesus. The order is intentional to show both the preparation and fulfillment that connects these two and to show the superiority of Jesus over John. While the conception of each was miraculous, John was the result of the human procreation of a husband and a wife. While Jesus was divinely conceived in Mary by means of the Holy Spirit, and the virgin birth is the result. At his birth, John was called the prophet of the Most High, whereas Jesus was named the Son of the Most High. The third major contrast can be seen in their ministries. John was the herald or forerunner of the Messiah, whereas Mary was told by Gabriel that Jesus would be the ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. See 2 Samuel 7, verses 13 through 17. The terms throne, Jacob, and kingdom all anticipate the earthly millennial reign of Christ when Jesus will rule from Jerusalem over Israel and over all the world. That first Christmas was all about a baby who would one day become the king. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. You've been listening to the Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 and 11 a.m. this morning in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. Feel free to join us at these times. You can also write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior. <laughs>